Gemma Atkinson here. Welcome to another Overshare. If you're new to this, it's our safe place to chat openly in a very honest warts and all way. Now, when myself and producer Matt got this project off the ground, right from the offset, there was one thing I always wanted to talk about. It's something extremely close to my heart and something I've not heard discussed enough. And that is grief. Something we all go through, something we all experience, but it's never discussed. And I've always wondered how people cope with loss, if they cope the way that I do. Do any of us really cope at all? Is there something they're doing that I'm not? Am I doing something that they're not, perhaps? So this is our overshare on grief and coping. Coping with loss, coping with the days that follow and how life changes. So as a warning, it's quite a bit heavier than our other overshares and it's not for young one's ears. As always, we have an expert on the podcast with us and joining us for this overshare is expert Abby Blaze, who firsthand can relate to a lot of the stories here today. Uh, Abby, you, unfortunately, sadly, like I lost my dad, you lost your mum, didn't you? So you're kind of obviously an expert in the field, but from a personal point of view, uh, going to be there for the, uh, the storytellers today as well. Yeah, I lost my mum to cancer back in 2017. She was like my best friend, you know, the person that I would go to for advice and stuff. I didn't think that that's what would happen in my life and that this, you know, that wouldn't have a future with a mum as a part of that. Hopefully this episode helps you in some way. Coming up in this episode of The Overshare... You've just got to get on with it, but there are days where I just, I could just lay in bed and not get up. As my daughter aged, it would also signify how many years my mum had been gone. I was like, how do I separate the two? I'm not religious in any way, he said, but if there's anything out there, he says, you know, take me and make him better. And my sister said, oh, Dad, don't be so daft, don't be silly. The odds were against him. And yeah. three months later, my dad dropped dead of a heart attack. I was so scared that I'd get too attached or bond to this baby and then I might not have a baby to bring home. Right, three things, three good memories about your mum, go. I want three good memories because my brain was just going down this, oh, her face when she was dying, you know, like the worst possible thoughts that you yeah. could have. At 34, I just didn't think that I would, you know, my dad would be leaning on me so much. Okay, so first of all, joining us on the Overshare, we have Andrea. Andrea, welcome to the Overshare. You've been through two life-changing, deeply traumatic events um, in the past few years, haven't you? Tell us, Tell us what's happened. I have, yeah. In April 2020, I lost my mum to COVID and other things. And my little boy was born in on the 29th of June, 2020, uh, July, sorry, 2020. And then he passed away on the 28th of August, 2021. Oh, my gosh. So you, your mother and your son within within two years. Oh, yeah. Andrea, how, how do you even begin to navigate anything anything like that I don't know I've got other children that are grown up now apart from Sean who still lives with us I don't know you've just got to try and carry on haven't you you know we were saying earlier because my, my dad passed away I was 17 when my dad passed away and it was very sudden and I had a big sit well I have a big sister Nina she's seven years older than me so I relied on my sister and my mum to get me through they were the matriarchs of the family they were the older ones and it's only now being a mum myself, I realise when something happens, as a parent, if you've got other children, you like you say, you kind of have no choice because you're the matriarch, you're the one who they depend on. 
and they're going to ask the questions too. And and so it's kind of like you're wearing a, a, a mask all day because you want to explain to them where, you know, their little brother and the nana or grandma is. But at the same time, you're dealing with so much. It's it's a lot to take on, isn't it, Abby? It's, it's horrible. Yeah, and it's your role shifts, I think. You know, for me, my because I lost my mum, my role shifted in the family and it's like you have to take on this new sort of like you haven't applied for the job, you don't want the job, but you've got to do the job kind of situation. Yeah. Um, what was your support network like, Andrea? Because I think having a support network is pretty key. Um, my husband, he didn't talk about Jacob. Um, and after my mum, nobody. It's so different how male and female deal with things. You see, absolutely. Well, well, I'm saying male and female. I think it's just a person because in our family, Gorka's the sensitive one. He he speaks about everything. Does he? Yeah, I'm very much like Andrea's partner, whereby I think if I don't mention it, it didn't happen, and it's fine. Yeah, brush it under the carpet, kind of. Yeah, and I've realised, I've realised in the long run, it doesn't help anyone. Does certainly doesn't help me. And it kind of, because I'm sure sometimes for you, Andrea, especially at the start, you probably saw it as they don't care. It's kind of, it's the complete opposite. We care so much, we'd rather not address it because addressing it is admitting it's happened. And then you have to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I'm assuming, what your partner is dealing with, especially with it being a son as well. Does that help, not talking about it? I think it's better to talk these things out. What I actually found really really helpful and, and surprised me was I was in a Facebook support group and then that might sound ridiculous but the people in there who'd been through the same thing as me I found them tremendously helpful and supportive so that was kind of my route of being able to talk about it with someone who maybe like understood it. My auntie helped me with Jacob with losing Jacob because she lost her son was it 11 years ago so my cousin 11 years ago, so she knows what it feels like. Although Kevin was grown up, she had some sort of idea. It's like the wrong order of things. Like when my grandma was still alive when my dad passed, and I remember she said to me, no parent should bury the child. Mm. She was like, it's the complete wrong order. And my grandma, she was Scottish, very stubborn Scottish lady. And again, I never saw her cry over my dad. Even at the funeral, she didn't cry. She was very much... Me and my sister drove round to tell her that my dad had passed and she just sat down and she said, okay, I'll get my coat, we'll go to the hospital. I was like, no, Grandma, it's fine, just just sit a minute. And she was like, no, come on, we've things to do. And my sister, who again is very emotional, actually not shouted at her, but in the weeks to follow, she said, Grandma, you've not cried once over Dad. And my grandma turned to us and she said, I have cried every single day since your dad died. She said, I've just done it on my own. Yeah. And I was kind of like, that's like me. I've got it from my I've got it from my grandma. And I guess people deal with grief differently. Yeah, when my mum died, I felt like the emotion was like trapped inside me. Like I wasn't as emotional at that point. I'd been emotional prior to her dying because we knew it was going to happen. But after she died, I kind of like went into this sort of, I'm going to call it emotionally constipated state, (laughs) which I know is a ridiculous way of putting it, but it was like, it was like trapped inside and I needed to have this emotional shit, dare I say. 
No. And it's like it was trapped and I hated the feeling. But I, I was a bit conscious that people might think, oh, she didn't love her mum that much because I wasn't weeping and wailing. But it's that's absolutely categorically not true. But sometimes it just you just can't process it in that particular moment and it happens a much a much later date how you said you've got other children andrea how have how have they been do they speak to you a lot my oldest son never met jacob because he lives down in plymouth so he never met jacob um my daughter she lives in honiton but she came up and she's my rock as well as my oldest other son who lives in carlisle he's my rock as well and then i've got sean who Who's down here on the floor, but he's just really quiet. <laughs> oh, so you've kind of got a big family, um, and I guess, like you say, all playing their individual roles. How how have things changed for you now since when it happened? Do you feel like you're you're still coping, or do you feel like you've you've you're in a little bit of a better place? How do you think things have shifted? I don't think it ever gets any better. I think you just learn to live with it. Mm. Um. I go to work, I come home, I do what I've got to do. Although this morning I was looking at someone on Facebook and it was two lines of a song that came on and it was a song that I used to sing to Jacob when he was eating and he used to get grizzly and I used to put it on and he used to sit quiet and eat some more Mm -hmm. and I was just gone for about half an hour. You've just got to get on with it, but there are days where I I could just lay in bed and not get up. And that, I guess, Abby, is something... Like Andrea said, you just it's your it becomes your new normal and it's okay if down the line you're still having those days, isn't it? It's not something we should be like, Oh, come on, it's been years now. Grief is it's for life. Mm. There's no timeline on it. There's no there's no right or wrong way to grieve as well. There are obviously more helpful ways of dealing with stuff. But, you know, if you have a day or a week where you don't want to get out of bed, sometimes you just have to accept, okay, that's where I'm at right now. And then look to the future and like in the future I'm going to you know make some plans or get something to get you to want to get out of bed and if you know seek a therapist if needed I think a lot of people even now feel that they shouldn't it's not a failing and I think a lot of people think oh it's a failing if I do that but it's not from a mum's point of view Andrew you you'll know being a mum if you're not right it does manifest in the kids. It's no matter how hard we try, it's the whole putting your, you know, breathing mask on before the passenger on the plane. You have to be able to, like you say, get up, get the breakfast sorted, check in on them, make sure they're okay. And sometimes it's kind of like, hang on a minute, what about me? Who's who's checking on me? Everyone's kind of at peace and I'm in pieces. And that's that's not not the way to be. The fact that you've come on and you've shared your story and you've even been through that. I think you're just incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the, on the podcast. It means a lot. Thank you, Angie. And I'm sure your story, well, I know your story would have helped a lot of people because we had so many messages for this episode, just wanting reassurance that they're not on their own. So you've, you've helped them. So thank you. There are people all around you carrying that grief around with them because it just follows you everywhere, doesn't it? It's always in the yeah. background. And you think, oh, it's just me, and you do feel lonely, but... It's like you can't meet anyone who hasn't lost someone. No, and it's something, if, if you're lucky enough to feel sad after losing someone, you know that person was precious. Yeah. Do you know they what I mean? say it's the price you pay for love. Yeah, the price you pay for, yeah. for loving someone. Would you like to see a picture of Jacob before we go? Yes. Yes, yes please. 
don't know if you'll be able to see Oh, him. yeah. Oh, Aww. bless him. His little England shirt. <laughs> oh, what a lovely little boy. That was just before the Euro finals. That's why he's got his England kit on. I'm sure he'll be very proud of you, Andrea. 100%. So our next guest to join us is Jess. And Jess, I believe you've had twice as much grief um, to cope with, haven't you? What What's happened, Jess? Yeah, I, I guess until I thought, oh, what am I actually going to say? <laughs> what am I actually going to say and how am I going to word it? So, yeah, I guess I've never really strung it all together, but um, lost both my mum and my mother-in-law-to-be um, all within 11 months. Yeah, and during COVID, um pretty soon after I'd had a miscarriage but then had my little boy so it was all just kind of roller coasted and and uh, all happened around the same time oh gosh yeah and I imagine obviously the the, the two key roles in pregnancy especially for yeah. me anyway is your mum yeah so t- to navigate that you know with life with a new baby your your mum and yeah. mother in law are both key players. How that must have really affected your your time as a new mum. Yeah, absolutely. So I found out. I was trying to actually like work it out, but I I found out about mum shortly after we actually lost my granddad. So her dad um, to COVID. He died in the April, and then we found out about mum's cancer in the June. And I was already pregnant, and that so it held me back from telling mum obviously because I didn't want to worry her, put any more stress on her. Um, but like you say, like, for, especially for a first baby, you know, or uh, especially after miscarriage too, like the person you want to confide in the most is your mum. Yeah. So yeah, that was really tough. And then um, I had my little boy in the December 2020. Um, and then we found out about my mother-in-law in the March, actually on Mother's Day. So my first, my first Mother's Day, we found out about her and they both had stage four at the same time. Do you know, it sounds... It's going to sound ridiculous when I say this, but do you know how they always say one goes out, one goes in? Um, yeah. With my my sister's got three children, and with her first pregnancy with Hadley, we lost my granddad during that pregnancy, yeah. and then with yeah. my, with her second pregnancy, Tyler, he was born and he had meningitis when he was only a few weeks oh. old. He was really really poorly. And it got to the stage he was in the ICU and the doctors said, look, you you all need to come up and say goodbye because he's he's not going to recover. So we all went up and my dad was with us and my dad crouched down next to him. I remember he was was going, come on, you're an Atkinson, you can get through this. Um, And he, he said, he said, I'm not religious in any way. He said, but if there's anything out there, he says, you know, take me and make him better. And my sister said, oh, dad, don't be so daft, don't be silly. And anyway, we we went home, all expect my sister and brother-in-law stayed with Tyler and we were waiting for a call and we didn't get one. And we we're thinking, what's going on? This is kind of weird. And hours turned to day, day turned to weeks and Tyler made a full recovery and the doctors were like, this is a bit, not odd, but, you know, the odds were against him. And yeah. three months later, my dad dropped dead of a heart attack and my sister has said, and it's, out of all the three children... Tyler is he, a spit of my dad. He's genuinely the spit of my dad. And she always says that my dad left so that Tyler could be here. 
And it's almost kind of like in, in your situation, your mum leaving for you to have the baby that previously you'd miscarried. Yeah, I mean, especially with my granddad, because he died in the April and I hadn't, I'd only just found out I was pregnant. Yeah. And no one else knew, even at his funeral. And then when mum was diagnosed, you know, you kind of have to put some kind of logic on it. Otherwise, I feel like it's harder to deal with. For me, it's like you have like this vision, this vision for the future of like, you know, yeah. when you have kids, you know, your mum's going to be involved and you're going to have that support there and it's going to be a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. Like never did I imagine having my little boy, who's now two and a half, um, and not having a, a grandma for him. It's really tough to get your head around that. He's got two amazing grandfathers. So we are so grateful f- for that. But just not having a grandma that spoils them and gives them all that chocolate that you don't want them to have before <laughs> bedtime and yeah. picking them up from nursery and all those things. And all that, like you say, all those plans that you make. And then they're just taken away from you. You can't fathom why that's happened. It makes you a bit angry, doesn't it? I went through a phase after my dad, I was just really pissed off. at. Every, I was annoyed at everyone who had a dad, which sounds pathetic and ridiculous. Yeah. But every Father's Day, I used to get so angry. I'd go up to the, the graveyard and put flowers down with my sister, but I'd drive home really annoyed. Mm. And I'd be like, why yeah. Why is, you know, such a body's dad, he, he doesn't even see them, he, he hates them, he's, he's horrible to the mum, and he's still walking yeah. around when I had the best dad in the world and he's under the ground. And he, again, is that a stage of grief, Fabi? I guess going anger, through anger. Yeah, anger's a normal stage of grief. I didn't get angry, you know. I missed that stage out. Like I've thought about it. It's like, why did I miss? You can miss things out. You don't necessarily have to get angry. Mm. I didn't get angry and I've not, I've managed to not get bitter, which I'm really glad about. But I've not felt, you know, when you said you see people with them. When I see people and they're having a lovely time with their mum, maybe if their mum was a bit of an arsehole, I'd feel different. But I'm like, yes cherish your mum shout it from the rooftops like when they're here like really make them feel loved you know that's kind of my way of thinking about it so I feel good when I see people cherishing their parents I might feel a bit annoyed if someone was disrespecting their parents and taking them for granted that's a bit different but it doesn't make me feel angry luckily how's your partner coach Jess obviously because it was his mother as well how's he how's he been yeah, do you know what? It's interesting because we've dealt with it like completely differently, which, you know, I think can even make you or break you as a couple if you're grieving at the same time. Like usually one supports the other. Um, you know, if you've you it's very rare that I would say that you're going through losing your mum at the same time or around the same time. Um, but he definitely feels a lot of anger because he lost his dad when he was about three, four. So for him, it was losing, you know, he's now lost both his parents. He felt very angry. Um, I had longer with my mum. So from like her being diagnosed to her passing away, I had around two years, two and a bit years, where with Kath, it was only eight months um, because the tumours had got to her brain. So and then obviously her personality changed. And so he just felt so much anger. And it was all during COVID where really you know, you couldn't visit people as freely. If she was in hospital, we couldn't go and see her. So I think he just felt completely robbed of that time. Um, So yeah, I think we've both had to learn how to accept that we are just dealing with it differently. And that's okay. Mm. um, And learn how to support each other. 
What have you told your kids about uh, where Nana's are? Mia thinks her granddad David um, lives in the moon. <laughs> she <laughs> she thinks uh, whenever whenever the moon comes out, she says, "Oh, Gang Gang David's out." And so uh, sweet. she thinks he's <laughs> stuck up there. She, she says he's in the moon with Vera, which was an old dog, and the Queen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, so he's living his best life with a dog and a with a, a, a little bulldog and, and the Queen. Um, but it's just what we told her when because we've got pictures of him around the house, and obviously she's yeah. she's got another granddad. But she has asked where you know where he is, and yeah. I just said, oh, he's in the moon. I didn't know what to say, <laughs> and it's just. It's just stuck, stuck. yeah. yeah. Um, so my little boy, Sammy, we... Um, so he, I think at a time he could probably vaguely... I mean, he's only two and a half, but vaguely remember them both because I still have my mum's like little rucksack she'd carry around in the back of the car and I use it to have Sammy's like spare clothes in and nappies and whatever. It's just handy to have. So he sees it and he's like, oh, grandma's back, you know. So he, he kind of makes that association still. I've tried to use some of her things and keep her kind of alive in that sense um and like you there's pictures around the house so we always say morning nana morning grandma I guess we haven't got to the age where he's like well where where are they so um we say in heaven although we're not really religious because I'm thinking about how I explain when Mia starts school and she finds out he's probably not in the moon (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then has a meltdown about yeah Because we've been to his grave together a few times, but she's not quite got the concept of, like, she first said to me, like, when she asked why we were here, I said, oh, it's so we can see Gang and David. And she said, but he's in the moon. And I said to Gorka, I don't want to say he's, like, he's in the box in the ground. I don't, you know, because I don't believe that. I believe his body is, but I, I'm, I'm quite spiritual with stuff and I, I know my dad's with me all the time. Um, yeah. But you can't explain that to a four-year-old without freaking them out. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. kind of like... Uh, I bet she's thinking, well, where is he, Mum? Is he at this place we keep going to or is he in the frigging moon? Make your mind up. <laughs> it must be so... Com- I feel like I've confused her already and she's only four. You know, steer towards the truth, but like a watered-down version of the truth. We go to my mum's grave quite often and we, we, you know, we've planted flowers and he knows we're going to grandma's garden. So at the moment, yeah, you know... He that's where he thinks we're going. It's just grandma's garden. And I think as time moves on, I'll start explaining it. But like you say, in a watered down sort of version. Do you feel like you're all still coping or do you feel like you've you've come out the other side and this is your your new norm now and you just kind of live with it? Every day or week is like is different. So sometimes my partner is really struggling with grief, depending on the time of year. Um, like we've gone past all of his firsts, you know, his mum's first birthday and first Mother's Day without her and all that kind of thing. Whereas I'm kind of going through that this year. They're supporting my dad as well, which is like evolving all the time. At 34, I just didn't think that I would, you know, my dad would be leaning on me so much. Mm. Um, So that's changed. Like our relationship, we've always been really close, but the dynamic has changed. I guess for your dad, he'll see so much of you, your mum in you. You know what I mean? He, yeah. So it, it must be difficult for the dads as well. My dad once burst into tears when I walked into the room because he just saw my mum. I see, I, even though I've got a little boy, I see so much of my mum in him, you know, which is the way he looks, his little mannerisms, and um, which is lovely at times, but other times it like really gets you. 
that's we were talking earlier it's a different mass for a different occasion on each time and like you say when you're on your own and you want to have your cry and let it out you must 100% do it um because you need to keep yourself you know in a good place mentally to be able to do everything else for the family Jess thank you so so much for talking to us I really really appreciate it thanks so much thank you Jess bye thank Thank you. you bye So our next guest is Alison. Um, welcome to the Overshare, Alison. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell us your story. I believe you lost your mum at a, a crucial point um, in your life. What happened? I did. So I found out I was pregnant when I when I turned 30. Um, found out I was pregnant with a little girl. And when I was 24 weeks pregnant, I got a phone call um, on the Friday morning while I was at work to inform me that my mum had unfortunately passed away. She wasn't ill. She'd had a sudden cardiac arrest while she was at home on her own. And and yeah, and, and it was as quick as that. And, and she was gone. And I can't remember thinking, oh, my God, what do I do now? Like, I'm about to have a baby. And all these emotions were flying around. In fact, I didn't even want to have the baby at the time because I thought as my daughter aged, it would also signify how many years my mum had been gone. I was like, how do I separate the two? How do I how do I do that? You're at the most incredible time in your life, growing a little human to add to the family. And at the other end of the spectrum, the matriarch of the family is no longer there. And it's yeah. how do you navigate grieving your, the loss of your mum, but then getting excited and happy about the birth of your, of your child? I, I can't even yeah. imagine how you'd navigate that. I mean, it was it was 12 weeks after she passed that I gave birth because I, I went into labour early as well, so she was premature. I was scared of her coming, and actually I shouldn't have been because she was exactly what I needed. She really helped heal some of those broken pieces. And I remember saying to my husband, I was like, oh, my God, you know, I'm, I'm, I haven't got a mum, you know what I mean? And, and he went, well, it's okay because you're going to be a mum. You're going to have that mother-daughter relationship. It's just this time you'll be the mum. And mm. I, and that stuck with me. That really did resonate with me and, and sort of helped me uh, move forward. But, yeah, it was really difficult then because I was not only a daughter grieving a mum, but I had become a new mum. So Mother's Day had a completely different meaning. It was I didn't have a mum anymore, and but, yeah, I was celebrating my first one as a mum. Yeah. So it was really kind of bittersweet but my daughter was honestly she is just amazing I'm absolutely obsessed with her she has gone so far to help me heal and help me see that life even without my mum is not what I thought it would be and I can look back and think about her remember her and treasure those memories but still have the time with my daughter and be making those memories as well so but it took me a long time to get here like it, it wasn't straightforward. I mean, it's five years this year, so that's what I was going to ask. How I mean, obviously, having a daughter, it's proof that life life does go on, doesn't it? Regardless, I mean, my dad died very similar to yours. We just got a phone call; he'd had a heart attack in his sleep, uh, cardiac mm. arrest. So again, it was very sudden. We had no kind of goodbye. We had no. It was just one day, life changed forever. Um, yeah. So I, I completely understand how that would have felt. Did you speak to anyone professional? Did you have a support network? How, how did you cope? 
Um, so I was referred to the mental health team, the um, perinatal mental health team who supported me. So alongside my maternity appointments with the midwife, I also had a separate appointments with the mental health team and, and they were really helpful. But again, with grief, really, you can't start any kind of therapy to do with grief until it's you know a significant period of time after the episode, after it's happened. And mine was like literally 12 weeks before I gave birth the aftercare team the midwives the health visitors were all aware of what gone on and I got referred then to counselling to start working through because my anxiety went through the roof because then I was terrified that something would happen to my daughter and I was terrified like if my husband didn't come home on time oh my that's it you know he's kind of gone so I had this fear of a fear of the unknown basically Mm -hmm. uncertainty didn't know what was going to happen from one day to the next and I think as a new mum you're already quite anxious especially as a first time mum you don't really know what you're doing you're kind of like oh what do I do and I didn't have anybody to bounce anything off either because I I was the first one in my friend group to have a baby and so I kind of didn't really have anywhere to sort of go but the internet helped I have to be honest you know people sharing stories same as what I'm doing now helped massively and building the community with the mum groups and the new mums and you know trying to navigate and find my way and it sounds mad this now but I wouldn't change it because I don't think I'd be the mum I am now if I did have had my mum at the time I probably wouldn't be where I am now and have the bond that I've got with my daughter but I can only say that now five years later you know (laughs) yeah the woman you are today has come out of something so horrible and tragic that you you somehow managed to spin a positive on it I think that's amazing I do as well thank you Thank you. I mean, you know, it didn't, it didn't come, didn't just happen. You know, it didn't just go, oh, you know, move on. It was, it's been a process. And I think the most important thing that I did was the 12 weeks before I had Penelope, I took the time to grieve. So I didn't run from it. I didn't hide from it. If I wanted to cry, I cried. If I wanted to talk about her, I did. And I made sure that I kind of acknowledged all those things I was feeling and give myself time to be that way. And then when my daughter came along I'd had that bit of time the initial period to then right okay now I need to start shift your focus absolutely yeah and don't get me wrong you know it comes in waves and peaks and troughs and you'll know yourself as time goes on those waves get a little bit further apart and and they did but initially I think the most the, the biggest thing for me was I just let myself feel it I just sat and let myself feel it for 12 weeks this big pregnant lump (laughs) <laughs> on a couch on my own and just felt every every emotion Abby you said off air earlier speaking about it and mm. and being open and accepting the emotions yeah. is a massive way to get through it yeah my partner I asked him yesterday I was like what do you think I did well or like how did you how from looking at me what do you think I did well and he said you were very willing to just be emotional when you needed to be emotional you didn't hide it you spoke about it you didn't try and bury it yeah so I think that helped me and also I remember one time I was having my daily cry and my partner was like you crying because he's in the other room and he could always like hear me sniffling away and he was like you crying I was like yeah and he came in and he was like right three things three good memories about your mum go I want three good memories because my brain was just going down this oh her face when she was dying you know like the worst possible thoughts that you could have and it just shifted it's like so now I think it's like such a challenge, but I force myself to be like, right, okay, remember something good about your mum. Remember a good memory, like make yourself remember it because those negative memories, 
can sometimes overshadow stuff. And the other thing, and I don't know if this will resonate with you, Alison, or whether this will help you. Not that you seem like totally fine anyway. <laughs> you know, you just really got it together. But um, someone said to me, you know, your mom like lives on in you and your DNA. And mm-hmm. when you have children, she'll live on in, in their DNA. And for me, I found that really comforting to think, oh, actually, yeah, that's true. She lives on in me. She lives on in memories. These people, like, even though they're not physically here, they live on in some capacity. No one can argue about genetics, can they? But I think talking about it, you know, and, and people shouldn't shy away from the conversation, you know, ask the question, you know, tell me about your mom. Just because they're gone doesn't mean we don't have to talk about them. I think sometimes people are scared, aren't they, to kind of say anything in case they upset you. And it's like, well, I'm already upset. Don't worry about that. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of there all the time, you know, and like special occasions, people are like, oh, I'm really thinking about you on this day. And it's like, well, you know, yeah, I suppose it has more connotations attached to it. But actually, I really struggled on Tuesday afternoon for just a random reason, rather than it being Mother's Day on Sunday, I had to have a worse day on the Tuesday. So there's yeah. no kind of rhyme or reason to it either. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, Alison. You, honestly, you would have helped so many uh, so many mums-to-be who are in similar situations. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hello. Great. Thank you. Hi, Abby. Nice to meet you. And you. I'm just eating a tobler on. It's giving me heartburn. Oh, no. Sorry, one sec. I need to put down the chocolate. So our next guest, we've got Joe, And Joe's got a different take on grief to the other guests we've had today. It's really, really interesting this because you've had to cope, Joe, I believe, with missing special moments through some horrific trauma. What's happened? Tell us your story. It's sort of linked to my pregnancy, really, and our, our journey having our daughter. We found out that we were having a baby last January and um, everything was going really well. And then when we went to our 20-week scan, I, uh, I had no idea that that scan is an anomaly scan. I thought you just went found out if you were having a boy or a girl and that's it. Um, but unfortunately for us, it got picked up that our daughter, who we found out we were having a girl, had a um, quite a major heart defect called transposition of the great arteries, which um, basically means that her pulmonary artery and her aorta were transposed, they were the wrong way round, she'd need open heart surgery as soon as she was born, she had two holes in her heart, um, and we ha- were sent straight to Bristol, we live in Plymouth, so um, it's quite a way away to go for other scans at the fetal medicine unit and um yeah it was confirmed that that was going to be our journey I'd have to be induced at Bristol so I was in the right place because when she was born she was gonna have to go straight into the NICU for um a keyhole surgery initially to hold her off before she could have her open heart surgery yeah I guess it all kind of started from there just accepting that our journey was going to look a lot different we were asked to read up about the condition and decide whether it was something we wanted to continue with the pregnancy which we 100% uh, wanted to do it was a grieving process my pregnancy and there were moments of joy but it was also I could never quite fully enjoy it or relax because I was so scared that something I'd get too attached or bond to this baby and then I might not have a baby to bring home with me and uh, it just made things like buying prams and decorating the nursery and having 
a baby shower so difficult because I didn't know if I was sort of setting myself up for just heartache if if anything went wrong mm. um I got to 27 weeks and unfortunately had a hemorrhage and they thought that she was trying to come early so I had to go back to Bristol um where again I was prepped for the worst you know they said a 27 week old baby would be wouldn't stand a very good chance anyway but one with a serious heart defect it, her heart would be too small to operate on so again we were going through this sort of roller coaster of of that as well but by some miracle she stayed in oh. and uh we made it to the end she came a few days before my induction was booked at bristol um so there was a little bit of a dramatic moment of trying to get me from plymouth to bristol in time oh, almost gosh. giving birth in the ambulance which was uh, uh not fun and my partner being stuck sort of miles behind us in traffic because he wasn't with me in the ambulance but um yeah we we got there she was born and we were told you know she'll be blue she won't be breathing she'll be taken straight from you but actually she came out and she was pink and she was crying I managed to get 60 seconds which I was told I wouldn't have so my golden hour um I, I knew I wasn't going to have I managed to have my 60 seconds of my golden hour where I had a little cuddle and they sort of started the timer and then she needed to go straight away to the NICU so that they could start doing all their observations and get everything ready that they they needed for her and then yeah our journey began of a month living in the intensive care unit with some pretty rocky moments so now it's like my body and my brain are saying okay you know she's okay you can now start to process all this stuff that you've gone through and that you've been holding on to. It's daunting enough I think when you're having a baby and you have the checks and they say the baby's healthy, you still come away thinking, okay, a few more weeks till my next one. Hopefully it's still the same. Do you know what I mean? From the minute you see a positive test result, it's fear of something going wrong. No disregard or disrespect to your partner or your parents or your friends. But it's only when you're carrying the child, only you really, really know. So yeah. as much as you have the best support network... It's kind of like a boxer prepping for a fight. You know, you have all your team around you, but when it, when it comes to the fight, it's the mum and the baby who are, di- who are going through the trauma and getting the delivery and are doing it all. So the fact that you did it and the fact that she's here now, <laughs> little warrior, it's kind of like she's already given you the, the, the amount of stress of a lifetime anyway <laughs> and you're still oh, managing to smile yeah. about it. Yeah, no, 100%. She is definitely, I mean, she had to fight for her life more than once we went through quite quite a journey with her she was diagnosed with um neck which is a medical condition affecting her bowel before she even had her open heart surgery which can be life-threatening so she got over that she got through her her open heart surgery she then had an episode of svt which is when her heart went into a different rhythm and she had to be injected with all it just it was yeah it was a really scary time and then when we got home I thought that was it but then we ended up back in hospital with like suspected sepsis and she it's just it's been non-stop but she is such a fighter knowing that while she was inside my tummy she was safe made the whole labor really difficult because I'd, I'd done lots of hypnobirthing and I felt really prepared and I was really sort of had all my affirmations ready all my breath work ready I felt you know I can do this I can do this but knowing that as soon as she was born she'd be taken away and that's when the scary bit started it wasn't the end of our journey that was the beginning of our journey it just I didn't want to give birth to her I just wanted to keep her inside me forever Mia was premature as well she was only four pound ten 
and I had a big postpartum hemorrhage. So I had about two hours with her, which was amazing. And she fed and it was all fine. But then the shit hit the fan, so to speak. And I, I was then in a mess. And they, the first thing they did was take Mia, they wheeled Mia out, Mia out while they treated me. And I remember screaming to Gorka, stay with her. I remember, I remember trying to stay awake while they were like massaging my uterus and I was bleeding and it was, it was a manic situation. But I was trying to stay awake to make sure no one took her, mm-hmm. not to make sure I was okay. Um, and Gorka said, he said to me at one point, where do you think they take her? What do you want me to do? <laughs> I was going, stay with her, stay with her. And I was convinced someone was going to snatch her from me. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're just kind of deep in the trenches, I think, at the time in survival mode because we were so prepped for the fact that she could die at any moment. I just didn't let myself bond with her because I thought then if at least if she's taken away, then it won't hurt as much. So it mm. took a long time for me to be able to accept that she wasn't going anywhere. And then, you know, I've done all the things that you should do. I guess, you know, I've spoken to the maternity mental health services. I'm on a waiting list for PTSD and birth trauma. I, I've got counselling going on. I'm waiting to talk to a psychiatrist. I've been to my GP. I'm I'm trying holistically to hold my to heal myself. I'm sort of going outside, trying to be in nature as much as possible. Wild swimming, yoga, breath work, Reiki, like all the things I know will help me feel better. But fundamentally, I guess the only way you can get through a real, really traumatic experience and an experience that's quite complex because you're actually grieving somebody that's alive. Can that be a thing then, Abby, whereby you do grieve something that hasn't happened? I guess it's more of a, f- a fear of what could go wrong, mm. is it? Is that, is that a thing? Yeah, and you can you can actually grieve something that you know will happen. So there's it's called anticipatory grief, where you grieve the loss of someone before they've actually died. So that's actually a thing. Mm. But you can grieve anything. You can grieve the loss of a job. You can... Our brains are so good, our imaginations are so strong that we can grieve for something that's in our imagination. And in that situation, that's not an imagina- like imaginary situation. That's actually potentially what could have happened. And then I imagine someone like that would be grieving like the moments that the good moments of pregnancy that you were hoping might happen and then didn't. Yeah, that makes so there's sense. There's so many levels to it. So it's kind of like, I guess, if someone comes out of a long-term relationship and you're grieving what you had as a as a couple. Yeah, the, when you go through a breakup, that's exactly the same feeling and emotion, grief. And did did you meet other parents obviously when when your little girl was in intensive care? Did you did you meet other parents and bond with them going through similar? Yeah, there were um there were parents in the house that we stayed in across the road from the hospital whose little boy was opposite Malia while she was in the NICU and we spoke to them a lot. Um, there was a Facebook group that I uh, became a part of when I found out um, about her heart condition and there was a lady on there uh, who was absolutely amazing. Her daughter had the same condition and she's just always at the end of the phone anytime I, I have any worries and she's just... She's been sort of like my guardian angel throughout all of this, really. Just by being on this podcast, I was going to say, you're going to help so many people. This was the, you know, every every week we pumped for an episode and this was the one, I mean, producer Matt's emails were just, there was so, so many stories. Um, mm. He actually rung me and said, I'm really, really low. I've read so many horrendous stories <laughs> uh, and to to pick only some. But yeah, you will help 
so many people. And I guess the, the one positive from this is like, you'll be able to say to your daughter, look, seven months in intensive care, Mrs., and you got through it. Nearly sepsis, you got through it. You'll get through this heartache. You'll get through this exam. <laughs> You'll get through that grazed knee. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like she, she's already got a benchmark of what's expected of her <laughs> because of how yeah, strong she's really, been. really high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. She's honestly like such a firecracker. She's just because she had to fight for her life. She's just a fighter in life. Like everything she does is with passion and she really lets you know if she likes something or if she doesn't. Like, Thank you for sharing your journey, Joe, and I, I wish you all the best of luck moving forward. Bye. As always, I do end these overshares by thanking our guests. But I just wanted to take a moment to say an extra special thank you to everyone who appeared on this episode. I know how difficult it is to talk about a situation that's that's so personal um, and so upsetting for some. So thank you as well to everyone who messaged about this. I've said before we were unindated with messages. Hopefully uh, we've helped a lot. We've uh, shed quite a few tears reading your stories about coping with loss and and dealing with grief. So I can't imagine what it must be like to, to live through, you know, the pain that some of you have suffered and some of you are still going through. Um, so thank you for, for daring to relive the most horrendous moments of your life. It really does mean a lot and you're helping so many people as well. So I hope that your stories and how you've coped will help others because there will be people listening now going through their own grief, coping with their own loss. Um, and this podcast was for you. So thank you. And to Abby as well. Thank you. You've been fab as always. Um, if you've got any comments on this episode of The Overshare, you can get in touch on the WhatsApp. It's 07761 039898. Or you can email producer Matt at the overshare at bowermedia.co.uk. The Overshare was produced by Matt Foister for Bauer Media and we shall return soon. Make sure you look us up, subscribe and tell your friends about us and we'll see you on the next Overshare. Well done, everybody. Well done. Aww.